crumbling monolith-like monument that looks more like it belongs with Roman ruins than a Rhode Island swamp is all that remains to remind us of one of the gravest injustices of King Philip's War. What was King Philip's War, you ask? Yeah, I didn't know either. But it was an armed conflict in 1675 to 1676 between indigenous inhabitants of New England and the New England colonists along with their indigenous allies. The war was named for Metacom, the Wampanoag chief who adopted the name Philip because of the friendly relations between his father, Massasoit, and the Mayflower Pilgrims. The war continued in the most northern reaches of New England until the signing of the Treaty of Casco Bay on April 12, 1678. It's often considered a crucial battle, although a more accurate description of the events of that day would be massacre. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. The fight was between the colonial militia of New England and the Narragansett people in December of 1675. It was fought near the villages of Kingston and West Kingston in the colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. The battle has been described as, quote, one of the most brutal and lopsided military encounters in all of New England history. And since the 1930s, Narragansett and Wampanoag people commemorate the battle annually in a ceremony initiated by Narragansett and Wampanoag scholar Princess Redwing. Princess Redwing, aka Mary E. Congdon, was born March 21, 1896, and died December 2, 1987, was a Narragansett and Wampanoag elder, historian, folklorist, and museum curator. She was an expert on American Indian history and culture, and once addressed the United Nations. Red Wing became Squaw Sechem of the New England Council of Chiefs in 1945, a position which allowed her to preside over sacred ceremonies and festivals. She was also a prominent storyteller in the Naragaset community, keeping alive the oral traditions of her tribe. She preserved their history up until her death in December 2, 1987, at age 91. And if not for her, these events may have been lost to history altogether. The Wampanoag Indians had actually helped the original colonists to survive under the leadership of Massasoit, who was Philip's father. It was through his assistance that the Plymouth colony avoided starvation during their early years. Because of their exposure to the colonists, Massasoit's people had been seriously weakened by a series of epidemics and diseases and were vulnerable to attacks by the Naragasets. So he formed an alliance with the colonists at Plymouth Colony for defense against them. His sons, Wamsutta and Metacom, took on the English names of Alexander and Philip, respectively. Alexander became a sachem for Poconets, a village of Wampanoags, upon the death of his father. But he died within a year, and Philip succeeded him in 1662. Metacom, or Philip, however, forsook his father's alliance between the Wampanoags and the colonists after repeated violations by the colonists. The colonists insisted that the 1671 peace agreement should include the surrender of native guns. Isn't this how it always starts? Then three Wampanoags were hanged in Plymouth Colony in 1675 for the murder of another Wampanoag, an event which ignited tensions. 
Philip devised a plan to attack the colonists in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and to build a confederation of neighboring Indian tribes. He also gathered muskets and gunpowder for the eventual attack, but only in small numbers, in order that the colonists would not be alarmed. Several Wampanoag men then began attacking and killing colonists in Swansea, Massachusetts, on June 20, 1675, and that sparked King Philip's War. The Indians laid siege to the town, then destroyed it five days later and killed several more people. In response, the colonies assembled the largest army New England had yet mustered, consisting of a thousand militia and 150 native allies. The Wampanoag Indians waged attacks on settlements in Massachusetts and Connecticut, but Rhode Island was spared at the beginning. In October, the Indians struck again with raids on the towns of Hatfield, Northampton, and Springfield, where almost the entire settlement was burned to the ground. But with the winter setting in, the attacks began to diminish. The Naragasets had a, remained officially neutral in the war, due in part to the urging of Roger Williams, signing a neutrality treaty with the Massachusetts Bay Colony in October of 1675. But they demanded that the Naragasets hand over any and all of King Philip's men, their fate to be the gallows or a bullet. The Naragansets refused. They sheltered many of King Philip's men, women, and children, and several of their own warriors had participated in raiding parties, so colonial leaders deemed them to be in violation of peace treaties. The colonists distrusted the Naragansets and feared that the tribe would join King Philip's cause in the spring, and due to the tribe's location, this was a great concern for the colonists. The militia burned several abandoned Naragansett villages as they marched around the bay as the tribe had retreated to a large fort in the center of the Great Swamp near Kingston, Rhode Island. On November 2, 1675, Josiah Winslow led the colonial militia against the Naragasets living around Naragaset Bay. During one of these raids, a Naragaset man, whom the colonists dubbed Indian Peter, became a turncoat, leading the colonial army right to the weak spot in the Naragaset defenses. Up till this point, the Naragasets had seen swamps as ideal defensive locations in wartime, leading them to take up residence in the Great Swamp during the conflict. But this time, it backfired on them. The Great Swamp Massacre took place on the bitterly cold and stormy day of December 19, 1675. The low temperatures froze the natural moat that surrounded the Naragaset encampment, allowing the colonial troops to pass easily. The massive fort occupied about five acres of land and was occupied by over a thousand people, mostly non-combatants. The militia funneled in through an unfinished section of the tribe's wall that they had built around the colony, shooting and attacking anyone and everyone they saw. The settlement was burned, its inhabitants, including women and children, killed or enslaved, and most of the tribe's winter food storage destroyed. It is believed that at least 97 Naragaset warriors and 300 to 1,000 non-combatants were killed, though the exact numbers are still unknown. Many of the warriors and their families fled into the frozen swamp. Hundreds more died there from wounds, froze to death in the cold or starved because there were no more storehouses. But one huge mistake on the colonists' part, instead of keeping a few of the Naragaset homes for shelter and saving their supplies for themselves, they burned everything claiming it was the only way to make sure they killed all of the Naragaset. 
and in the process, the colonists lost many of their officers in this assault. About 70 of their men were killed and nearly 150 more wounded. The Great Swamp Massacre was a critical blow to the Naragaset tribe from which they could never fully recover. And many of their survivors were sold into slavery, sentenced to death, or fled to join other nearby tribes. Today, a memorial marker is placed at the presumed site of the battle in 1906 on five acres of donated land. The rough granite shaft with only the date of the conflict engraved on it stands about 20 feet high on a mound and about half a mile off a dirt road. It was erected by the Rhode Island Society of Colonial Wars to commemorate the battle and to serve as a cemetery memorial. Four roughly squared granite markers stand around the mound at the four cardinal compass points, engraved with the names of the colonies which took part in the encounter. The markers are near West Kingston, Rhode Island. The dedication of the monument was attended by descendants of both sides of the battle. The dedication speaker, Rowland G. Hazard II, said of the monument, We dedicate this rugged granite shaft, frost-riven from the native hills, untouched by the tool of man, as a fitting emblem of the rugged and unadorned pilgrim and Puritan of 1675." End quote. Three members of the modern Naragaset tribe pulled the veil from the stone, and the inscription states, Attacked within their fort upon this land, the Naragaset Indians made their last stand in King Philip's War and were crushed by the united forces of the Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Plymouth colonies in the Great Swamp Fight. Sunday, 19th December, 1675. This record was placed by the Rhode Island Society of Colonial Wars, 1906. A second marker was placed there in 1916, which has since gone missing. That inscription was as follows. In memory of Major Samuel Appleton of Ipswich, Massachusetts, who commanded the Massachusetts forces and led the victorious storming column at the Great Swamp Fight December 19, 1675, this tablet placed by the Rhode Island Historical Society, 1916. To me, it seems kind of insensitive to dedicate a monument to those who were lost in a massacre and then erect beside it a plaque commemorating the people who ensued that same massacre. But on October 23, 2021, the title to the five acres of land constituting the monument site was transferred from Rhode Island Historical Society to the Naragaset Tribe to be held in perpetual trust for whatever that's worth. All right, there you have it. There is the Great Swamp Massacre of Massachusetts, as we like to call it, or Rhode Island, Rhode Island. rather. I know it's kind of that whole New England area. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rhode Island is such a tiny state. Yeah. You can't help but bleed over into mm -hmm. other areas. Um, <clears throat> I actually learned about this in the most unsuspecting of ways. I was actually reading a fictional crime drama um, called The Burn Palace by an author uh, named Stephen Dobbins. And he mentioned this um, because the novel obviously takes place in Rhode Island um, around this area. And he mentioned the Naragaset people and the way that they were treated. And I was like, how have I not heard about this right. This <laughs> massacre? Um, this is because I, I thought it was made up at first. And then I looked it up and I'm like, wow, this is an actual event. Yeah. Um, that's what I love about reading 
fictional crime is <laughs> a lot of times, you know, it's uh, it has a lot of true events tied in, mm -hmm. and they'll tie into these these different moments of crime with actual events in history, oh, yeah. which is really fun. As much as I study true crime, uh, you're probably like, why why do you want to read fictional crime when true crime is so? Because true crime is depressing, <laughs> <laughs> too much at a time, right? So like it's like you wanna. You want to take a breath and you know, be, and enjoy crime that's not real, but then you learn about something like this that is real. And mm -hmm. it, but it's still, like I said, it's something that needs to be told. It's something that needs to be learned, um, mm -hmm. especially here in America. You know, these types of stories are not being taught in no. school. They're not in like our history whole, books. Like era of time is just kind of yeah brushed over. Like yeah, oh, let's just fly right? past that <laughs> from 1492 all the way yep. up until like the signing of 1776 <laughs> right signing of the declaration of independence yeah. nothing happened in those 300 years no. before that don't worry about no. it and yeah. then also like the amount of natives that there were is also very uh obscured yeah when we're looking at history in like in our history textbooks compared to like when you're looking up like on this case, there's not a lot of documentation because there weren't very many survivors exactly. of this event, you know, other than the colonists. So that's a little bit of a biased opinion on their end. You think? A lot, actually. Because yeah. one of the armies was even like made up of a bunch of pirates and right. just whoever the heck they could find at the time in uh, like Massachusetts, I believe. Right. And... So, I mean, whatever they wrote just was, it was kind of like, I mean, to the point that it was like even other colon, um, colonial groups were like, yeah, we don't associate with those. You oh, know what wow, I'm saying? Yeah. Like it was that bad because yeah. like the people that went in and actually burned the place to the ground, all of them at the time weren't wanting to do that. They were like, right. this is really stupid. We should, we've marched all the way out here with very little supplies and very right. little food right. and and now we're burning all right. this food and Maybe shelter. Maybe we should have we uh, just... took up camp here, <laughs> Yeah, you know, for so a few days. It was kind of like a split in the colonial groups on that on that whole burning the place down. But apparently right. the whoever the governor was at the time was like, no, nah, just burn it to the ground. Just burn everything. Because they thought at the time that uh, Medicom or Philip was uh -huh. hiding in the, in that group. Oh, or in that camp. Right, right, right. So they were just like, just burn that shit to the ground. And these people did. They, like, half of them just, like, were like, yeah, let's just burn everything. And you could hear um, some of the the other people who were, like, totally against this talk about how, you know, you could hear women and children screaming and right. pleading with them not to burn things. And Right. That's and, one of the most frustrating things about this story is that mm -hmm. the Naragaset people were innocent. They were mutual. They yeah. weren't. They weren't even part of these native tribes that were doing these attacks, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, in my opinion, people were moving in and taking my land and killing right. my they people and justified. trying to take my guns. It's like, at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah. I kind of get it. But even so, the Naragaset people were like, no, just let us have this little island in the swamp. Mm -hmm. Nobody even wants this land. Mm -hmm. You know, let us just live here in peace. And they couldn't even do that. Something because, that But like because they were housing... Yep. War criminals, you know, native war criminals, as and not know, only as the that, colonists they would were, describe them. They were apparently using like um, English techniques in building and things like that. Yeah, like with the wall that they built around. Right. The they were using masonry techniques. Yeah. And whatnot. So yeah. the like the colonists took it like they were, you know, they were building up a defense, and that in the spring that they, you know, being yeah. in the middle of all three of their mother colonies, that 
it would have gave um, Philip the advantage because right. he was he right in the in middle there. of all of them and, and he could gather his numbers and right right it was pretty fucked up yeah so they, they saw it as it. like an even fight they were like oh those guys are using like they're using our techniques and our yeah you know our even our weapons because they had some, right some weapons but i mean they had no gunpowder right for so it was like one shot and it was done mm-hmm. so it was they frustrating. Were, yeah, especially it was since completely those, lopsided. Yeah, especially since those natives helped the original colonists survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fucked up. Right? It's like, and it's like, oh, they can't take our building techniques. It's like you took literally all sorts of things from them, probably farming techniques. Yeah. Um, well, they just like justified it that way. They were like, oh, well, well, they they've caught on enough that you know this yeah. is a fair fight. Now they're fair. And yeah. it's like, wait, no, 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 but you guys yeah. have guns and all this, like, I don't know. Yeah, they had maybe you know probably less than a hundred actual warriors. Yeah. You know, there of the thousand or plus people that were in this camp, most as as we said in the in the podcast, most mm-hmm. were non-combatants. Yep. They had no defense. There were people who like had fled other other um, tribes and stuff right. as they were being attacked yeah they were looking for sanctuary what's insane is you know this whole thing started with supposedly with the um the killing of the wampanoag man Mm -hmm. by okay well what they don't tell you is he was a um what do you call him like he had converted okay so he had converted and became a puritist or puritan and and was working with the colonists with the colonists yeah but he had also worked as an interpreter for Medicom or Philip. Right. And um, so they saw him as like a traitor. Be- and they like, there are even theories that he was a spy, that he was mm-hmm. like b- working both sides. Right. And then that's why they killed him. But I'm like, even that, that seems like a tribal situation. You know what I'm saying? That seems right. like a matter of their own people. Mm-hmm. And, but they used it against them to be like, oh, you killed that guy and he's our guy. So now it's war. Yeah. And it's like, no, it seems like they, like, just, I don't know, just leave them alone, goddamn. But. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Like I say, they were set up in swamplands that nobody wanted in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, even even in the Stephen Dobbins novel that I was reading, um, hardly any people inhabit these areas. Mm -hmm. They are like, the swamplands are just. There's like this creepy area yeah. like on the coast that nobody wants to go in. Like, and then God forbid if you have a few rainy days in a mm-hmm. row and the swamps all rise and it's just, it's just a putrid place. Like they, the it, area where this all took place used to be an island. Right. Like, I mean, now it's part, it's developed and all this stuff, but, and, but yeah. it used to be an island and it was very hard to get to anyway. Right. Right. So, yeah, yep. they it's, were hoping it would save them. Yeah, unfortunately it didn't. And then the, the, you know, the fact that it was winter, the the swamps were frozen over so they could easily mm-hmm. get they across them. Over. Yeah, because mm-hmm. otherwise it would have been very difficult to yeah. ri- to wage war in that And they were in just that like, climate, in that area. the colonialists were just like kind of wandering around, just trying to like stumble upon this camp. They mm-hmm. had no idea where it was until right. they captured um, and threatened that. Yeah, the, the turncoat. Peter, yeah. Because it was only five acres. I mean, five acres is, it seems like a, a large area, but it's really not when you're uh-huh. talking about in the wilderness. Right, of, and you're trying to you find know, Rhode Island, right? <laughs> yeah, you're trying to find this this small little five acre encampment. It's not that easy. No. And like I said, it's not that easy to, to get around out there anyways. No. So, but yeah, if not for the perfect, the perfect storm, the perfect weather mm-hmm. and all that, then 
maybe they would have avoided this tragedy or maybe it would have just been put off yeah it just longer. been delayed and in the spring they would have attacked him yeah yeah but but guys that's it that's our little history lesson for this week i hope you enjoyed it and um just one more thing to do let's check in with lauren and let's see what he thinks in this week's lauren synopsis it's time for lauren it's time for lauren synopsis breaking down the case like Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Break it down the case like. Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Break it down the case like. Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. To give my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the Great Swamp Fight. Part of King Philip's War, a particularly bloody and ugly part of America's history. Um, King Philip was actually a Native American, a Wampanoag chief by the name of Metacomet, who adopted an English name of King Philip from his father, who had a positive relationship with English settlers. And there was peace for a long time um, due to his father's relationship. However, when Metacomet was born and tried to continue those relations, things splintered when there were some uh, misdeeds carried out, it seems, by both sides. Um, there were three native uh, Wampanoag members that were hung at Plymouth County in 1675 over a murder. Um, and it seems a little fishy as to what went on. However, tensions just continued to build up. The settlers tried to keep the Narragansett uh, tribe on their side. They signed a treaty of neutrality in, in 1675. Um, however, they still didn't trust the natives. Um, they were going to war with other tribes and the Narragansett could really hurt them if they turned on them and joined forces with the other tribes because of their location. So the English settlers chose to strike first. So assembling a large, at the time was a large, uh, force of a thousand men. The, uh, colonial force began trudging through uh, Rhode Island and found a Narragansett fort on December 19th, 1675. They found this in the middle of the night. They found that this was not typical. Uh, they, they had, the natives had taken some uh, pages out of the Europeans book and built a fortress, um, even with brick structures inside, which is not really uh, standard practice for native Americans at the time. Uh, they didn't build a lot of things like this. However, they was pretty amazing what they had done. Nonetheless, they were not complete. Uh, they had not completed the exterior uh, defenses of this. And there was uh, a hole that was discovered by the colonial force and just uh, a log separated them from gaining entry into this uh, fort. And they did so. They entered the fort in the middle of the night. They attacked with their combined force of Plymouth, Massachusetts, and Connecticut militia numbering about a thousand men. And they even had some uh, some native allies as well of the Mohegan clan and the Pacoys, uh, about 150 of them. And this fierce battle that ensued with them gaining entry into this fort became known as the Great Swamp Fight. And it's believed that the militia killed about 600 Narragansetts, uh, including women, children. They burned the forts and they got into this fort it was through a swamp and the only reason they were even able to get to this fort is because it was deep in winter in december and the swamp was frozen so by burning uh, all of the structures in this fort 
They actually destroyed all of the food that the natives had, that the Narragansetts had gathered for winter and forced the uh, Narragansett warriors that were left to escape into a frozen swamp where they, uh, it's believed they froze to death out there. And many of the, the colonists lost their lives as well. About 70 of their men were killed and about 150 more wounded. And those that made it out of there had to trudge then through the for- frozen wilderness, injured, um, many of them dying along the way. Um, this was just a, a particularly ugly moment in a dark part of our past. It's hard to imagine what it was like to be uh, a Native American living on this soil and then all of a sudden these you know, settlers from another land show up um, and it's just, it's spelled bad, bad news. They came to realize over time um, the disease that was brought over with uh, Europeans just decimated the Native American populations as we know. Smallpox ran like wildfire through their populations and those that weren't killed by disease were a lot of times uh, killed at the hands of uh, these colonies and these settlers from another land that now we are us, basically Americans. Um, it's, it's hard to fathom the devastation that they experienced. It seems as though the textbooks only talk about, a, a, you know, Europeans landing uh, in North America and then you jump to the Declaration of Independence of 1776 and they kind of skip all this ugly you know, uh, this ugly century of what basically could only be called genocide, essentially. And just a reminder of how human history is just appalling. The way that human beings have always treated each other through all human history, all the way back, it's, it's crazy to look back on. And we've come a long way. You know, I feel like I always come back to this, but uh, yeah, we're getting better as a species, I think. This is just another example of it. It's a, a just another dark piece of uh, our history as Americans, but uh, many other nations are. You you look into their past, and it's it's not much better. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next time. All right, Lauren. Thank you for that synopsis, as always, sir. And yes, uh, looking back at those barbaric times, it does seem that uh, we are getting, I guess, a little more civil in society these days. And yeah, it is hard. You'd be hard-pressed to find a country, find a civilization that doesn't have a violent past. But nonetheless, we hope you guys um, enjoyed learning about this little history lesson. We hope it was informative. Hope it encourages you to, to look and to think further into your, your history, especially uh, if you're an American Please look into U.S. history a little further, do a little more research, and we'll, we'll be doing our part as well to try to bring you guys more stories like this, more cases like this. Um, but it's great to be back with you guys after the Christmas break, and we will be back with our regular, regular scheduled programming every single Thursday if you're on Patreon and every single Monday if you're not. Um, speaking of Patreon, if you guys like what we do here at True Crime Guys Productions, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. There's a link right below the description of this episode. And for just five bucks a month, cheaper than your Starbucks coffee, uh, cheaper than a gallon of gas, depending on where you live, 
you can get access to everything we make at True Crime Guys Productions and get multiple new episodes every single week, as well as early access to these Sandu proper episodes on Thursdays instead of Mondays. All right, again, that's patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Also, check out True Crime Guys on YouTube. Check us out at True Crime Guys on social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, uh, True Crime Guys on Facebook. Give us a follow. And, uh, yeah, if you got any case suggestions, feel free to direct message us on there, or you can hit us up on email at truecrimeguys at gmail.com. Okay? All right, guys, well, that's pretty much it. Uh, I guess I'll see you next week for a new strange and unexplained case, okay? Until then, just keep being strange, and uh, don't be strangers. See ya. feel free to check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and The Five Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. Hey, how, do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over? Good luck,